Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right. You know what that means. You are listening to the Mystery of Parenthood. And um, if you can, we'd like you to slow down and uh, take a listen. And um, we'll begin as we always do with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, Grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, please pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, it's a new show. It's been three weeks, I guess. We've been... You know, it's summer. That's the way it goes. It's been too long. Been too long. It's been too long. It's always fun to be here with you, Thaddeus. And um, thanks, Trey. Feeling is mutual. Oh, that, it was a great opportunity to to bring some really great episodes from the past out uh, of out of mothballs, as you might uh, say, and offer them to the public. So that that was wow. You know, that's a well, that's a nice thing. Well, it's I mean, we've got a great back catalog, as they say. You yeah, know, there's the, a lot. Uh, we back and look, my my. My son, my one of my sons is listens to it regularly. He's stealing all my <laughs> all, your all my secrets, right? No, uh, he's he's the one in college. He Dad, was, I know you're telling me this, but you said the exact opposite <laughs> on episode yeah. 35. So when I do listen to the show, which is not that frequently, but every once in a while, it'll be on when I get in the car or something, and and I'm always thinking, okay, if he's listening, what? <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying it sounds like a um, could be characterized as maybe a parenting challenge. I guess so. He, I mean, and that's going to be our topic today, right? Uh, well, yes, and and we've got some of the most four, common the common challenges, challenges, and I don't think any of these, and looking at them, are something that the listeners or or myself or you going to be shocked ha, are going to be of. shocked to learn about. It's putting a name to it. Um, well, I guess we just found this in. Secure teen. I don't even know what if this is Catholic or not. I don't because it's more facts. I mean, it's more just stating kind of the obvious. But I think there's there are ways, and we'll hopefully talk about ways that we can. You know, sometimes you have to identify the problem and then try to figure out ways to 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 fix it or mm-hmm. adjust to that. And sometimes it's just being aware that that's an issue. So, um, well, there's a, a really great. The picture that accompanies the article um, looks like it could be ripped from my household. With The, the <laughs> father has his hands kind of out in that gesture of, what are you doing or what are you thinking? And the teenager kind of has one hand pointed up in the air with the finger sort of as he's about to say, so this is why I... <laughs> so let me explain. I can explain. Yeah, and I think... I, I think uh... There have been a few scenes like that in my in my day. Just a few. I mean, even you count them on one hand. If I had twenty five of them, <laughs> but uh, if you had a hand with twenty five fingers, twenty five fingers, or twenty five hands with five fingers, <laughs> I don't know. Over the years, but but anyway, I thought it was I thought it would be worthwhile to kind of go through that because I do think that and, and what this is a what this kind of the gist is is. Things have changed in the last 20, 30 years 
from what had previously been the case, it, different than what it was when I grew up, for sure. And I'm, I mean, I'm 57, so that would be f- probably 45 years ago when when I was growing up. Um, most people I know, you know, the dad worked, the mom was a, a homemaker, you know, and uh, and now that's just generally not the case. And but these would apply even back in the day of not for at least the person who is not around and maybe even the person who is, because I think, I think no matter what, I think it's a human experience to fill up our time and it's a matter of prioritizing what's important and the way to look at it. So, and, and how to make sure that the stuff is going on. I just know that, I think I I think I've heard the story that when they started working on computers and things like that that they could they could um uh automate things and make it easier that it would what that would what that would lead to would be less time that that somebody would have to work so that they would have more time. I think that was part of at least some of the sales pitches that I heard or remember hearing years ago. That's far from what what's happened. It's just the level of productivity is just expected to be much higher, I think, um, as a result. But anyway, I, I thought we'd just go through these various things and then maybe talk about ways that we've attempted to deal with it and maybe get some ideas for you. And um, so here are the four, yeah, the, yeah, the four, the four challenges listed in the article are scarcity of time, failure in imparting moral values, imbalanced life. And lack of emotional bonding. Four common, four of the, the the four most common parenting challenges, according to SecureTeen.com. And I think you could throw in marriage, you could throw in lots of different things, but, but I, I mean, every one of these at some level convicts me a little bit, (laughs) no matter, no matter what, I mean, all of these, but well, we can start with scarcity. convicts you in the sense of you. Convicts me like I mean, I, you know, I've dropped the ball on you, some okay. of these. Yeah, you haven't done yeah. as good of a job as you could have. In done. looking back, I mean, it's kind of almost too late now for me. I mean, when your oldest, when your youngest are twenty-one, yeah, that ship has sailed. The ship has sailed. So, anyway, I try to encourage some of y'all that might have younger ones to uh, to do. I I've mean, still got some of mine. Well, I've still got all of mine in the uh, in the harbor. You know, in the in the in dock. The, right. I got one back, but but most of them are are out. But so the first one, um, scarcity of time. It, you know, it says this is what the article says. One of the most imperative parenting challenges that many parents face today is the scarcity of time. So in a twenty-four hour day, you have to juggle a plethora of duties, completing office tasks, performing household duties, looking after kids, and of course, sparing some time for themselves which comes impossible most, you know, most of the time. Let's, let me jump in here too. Speaking of things being changed, also probably a lot of our listeners would say COVID had, has changed oh, wow. a lot of this because so many more people are working remotely, working from home. Yeah. Um, and I find that I find then that is so there, there now it's work in the midst of family or at the, at the domicile and that, that changes. And us. you would think you, I mean, I, I think naturally I would think, well, okay, that would improve things. But I had, I had, I tested positive for COVID a few months back, I had no symptoms. So I was, I mean, or very limited symptoms. So I was just kind of going to work, but my work made me stay at home. So I'm working. Well, what I found was, is it's not the case always because I found myself doing stuff up until like seven o'clock at night mm. because I wasn't paying attention to the clock because I was out. out because I was home and and there wasn't anybody saying you know Trey we're about to set the alarm can you get out of here I mean <laughs> there there those type of things Stephanie wanted to say that to you but no I'm just <laughs> may, she may have been happy I was up there I don't know but but um. But that, that's a good point because I think that, that adds a, an extra layer of having to divide. Because what it comes down to, I think, scarcity of time, there's only so many hours in a day. That's, there's only so, so many minutes in a day. Mm-hmm. And so it is really easy 
I mean, at least in my life, to pack the day with lots of different things. And eventually, because I haven't planned, I've re, I'm reacting or responding or doing something that's kind of coming in and then I'm trying to get back out, which is exactly what happened on that day mm. where there was a number of phone calls and something had happened and I'm going back and forth that we don't draw um, good dividing lines, I guess, of time to say, okay, I'm only working on this from this time to that. I, I, I know there's a lot of planners and stuff I've, I've seen talk to people who do it, talking about blocking time and just saying, I, I'm, I'm going to allocate this much time and then being disciplined enough to say, when I get to the end of that, that I'm not just going to keep working on it to, to, to organize it. And I think part of being an image of God is God was great at setting up boundaries. I mean, he set the night and the day he set he set the land and the, and the water, you know, and um, you know, kind of a, as an aside, that's what a lot of people, when people wanted to not have God around, God gave them what they wished. And that was what happened with Noah. He said, okay, you don't, you don't want, you don't want me around. I'll just take away the boundaries I've set. And, and when we learn that the boundaries mm. that he set, Interesting interpretation. Are, the, the boundaries that he set are because they make sense, because they're the right thing to do. We as parents should mimic that. We should we should say we're gonna we're gonna have time for these things. Another issue with scarcity of time that I've run into is just the back to back to back to back and not accounting for the fact that there are things that are gonna happen in your day that mm. you didn't have you had no idea they were gonna happen. You get a phone call, something's gonna happen you know, at work or, or something's going to happen with the kids and you've got to, you've got to stop. You didn't, you, you didn't plan on that because you couldn't. And Stephanie would always say that would always bother because she is a list maker. I got to get these things done. And I think I'm similar, but I think she might be a little bit more rigid on, on that. I mean, in terms of like, she, I know she just likes to do it, but she's always talked about the fact that part of, part of that, part of dealing with, with time is recognizing that God's actually involved in what's going on. So if, if there is a, something that's out of your plan, then maybe look at that as a God incident. Look at it as, okay, maybe God wants you to deal with this right now, even though you had planned on dealing with that. Mm -hmm. And so I think scarcity of time is, is something yeah, that I, I think we should also take it back to fundamentals here where it, you read that title of scarcity of time and something that occurred to me in talking yeah. to you or listening to you just now is I think a lot of us out there and I am very much guilty of this say I don't have enough time to really have a good solid personal prayer life. Right. And I think, and I don't know, but I think if I had a better personal prayer life, and I think if I spent, if I started my day uh, with a better routine of prayer and really setting my day on a, on a basis of it being at the disposal of God. Right. My day would probably go better, and I would I would probably plan my work better than uh, I do. I, I I agree. So I, I think that's a, I think that's a piece to to kind of put out there. You too. know, I think I think that part part I think that somehow having a schedule where you're where you're saying I mean, you schedule things that are important. I mean, if your boss wants to meet with you, you make time. You know, mm -hmm. if if there's something going on, you have to take a kid or a dog or something to the doctor or to the vet. You make time. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens is a lot of times we look at we look at prayer as being something extracurricular, so to speak. I mean something out and so it kind of fits in and around that. There's two ways to handle it. One, I do think that you should make I think that everybody should have a set time that they try to say, I'm gonna spend 
10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever, what, an hour, I'm going to block off that time. And that's going to be my time to read scripture, to, to meditate, to pray, to ask God to speak, those type of things. So I think you've got to, you've got to allocate time for that. I think the other thing that I know, I, and I do think that if you, if you offer it that way, that's, that's fine. What I, what I struggle with, and maybe some of y'all out there too, is I may have a list of 20 things, right? There's no way those 20 things are getting done today. Mm-hmm. And I need to do a better job. And I've seen where you, where you say, okay, these are the, if I get these three things done today, it will be a productive day. If I can get these things done and then have room for fitting those things that's that's in there that's fine so i'm talking about work but the reality is i think that we should make sure that we're making time for the people in our life that are not driven by this is my job and um i guess certain professions may lend themselves to more more ability to do that. I can think of my dad, you know, if someone's having a heart attack when he was being a doc, when he was a doctor, that would be, I've got to go, you know, I know I was planning on being (laughs) here, but I've got to leave. Whereas for me, there's not as many of those issues being a banker. I can schedule most of it or at least manage as best I can. But I think what happens is, and I've mentioned this story before and it just came to mind I had a friend of mine early on in my conversion, you know, in my early thirties where I had, I had a friend say, well, what do you, how do you prioritize, not well, how do you prioritize things? What are, what are the most important things in the order of importance? And I gave the stock answer, which is, which is the right answer, which is God first, family second, work and everything else after that. And he asked a question, which I'd ask myself today and ask all the, all the listeners. He said, take the next week and you tell me how much, what time you spend on each of those, how much of your day is spent on that stuff, and then come back and tell me what your order actually is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what I found was, if I measured my time, that it was the flip opposite. It was it was work and was kind of first and then family was second because they were right there and God was somehow somewhere at the bottom of the list um, by what I was choosing to do. So I think it's like, it's like I've heard people say about a checkbook, you look at your checkbook and what you're spending your money on, or look at your accounts, what you're spending your money on. And you pretty easily can figure out what is most important to you. (laughs) I mean, where your well, we just had that recently in a reading, right? You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's the same thing with this. Scarcity of time is interesting. There's not a scarcity of time. I mean, in reality, there's not. I mean, time is set. We know in a day there's 24 hours. It's not. It's only 23, or it might be 20, or it's 28 on this day. I mean, it's 24 hours. So scarcity of time has more with our how do we choose to allocate the time we spend? I mean, I just went to confession and that was actually one of the things that father Charlie said, you know, pray for a better use of your time, you know, pray that you will have the wisdom because guess what? Who's in control of using my time for the most part, other than those things that fall kind of out of the ordinary I am. And so if I think something's important, then I need to make sure that that's put in my schedule. So if God's number one, then I need to make sure that there is time that's put in my schedule for him. If I think my wife's important (laughs) or my spouse is important, I need to allocate time for that. And what we've talked about this before on the show is that Stephanie and I, back when the kids were younger and I think this is a good thing we would we would always say when I got home from work and got changed there was a 20 minute period that it was just me and her even with the kids running around and you know we would set a timer and we'd tell the kids it's this is mommy and dad time 
And sometimes it ended up being more like we were cooking and talking about the day. Early on, it was we'd sit on the couch, you know, to let the kids know this is our time. But we made some time to say, okay, so how was the day? Anything we need to talk about, you know, to provide for the opportunity to do it. So Mm -hmm. scarcity, there's not a scarcity of time. There's only a scarcity to the extent that we overschedule, overbook, don't prioritize what's important. Um, And so that's shown concretely in what we actually are doing day to day. Um, Now, the other thing that I think you're bringing up about not, and and this is not to the um, detriment or to the exclusion of having some, a prayer time, right? But the idea of a morning offering at a minimum and then offering your day for to, to the Lord, uniting it with what was accomplished on the cross by Christ um, and is represented in every mass that we unite the day that we don't know how it's going to go. We know what we'd like to accomplish, but we're going to unite the day to Christ and to his sacrifice. Then there's a way of making that the days of prayer. In fact, Stephanie, when things, because that happened when the kids were younger, I, I remember, you know, she would get up and start praying. Things would always work out the way she wanted. And she would just say, you know, I get up and I never say amen, meaning my, my prayer, I'm not ending my prayer because I'm going to go do the laundry or because I'm going to go change this baby's diaper or because I've got to, you know, make a bed or something like that. And so um, I think that's something that we need to do. And one of the things that I think is a great habit to get into is have some reminders, some things that make you during the day. Think of God. Stop and doing it. I, I, I did for a while where I would put I would make my clock ding every hour and I would stop for a moment. Thank you for this past hour. I want you please, Lord, take, take this next hour and I would go back to work. Right. I mean, just because what's prayer? I mean, St. Therese of Lisieux, it's just a simple glance towards heaven. Right. So to stop hourly for 15 seconds and say, Lord, thank you <laughs> for letting me do what I've done. I need your help in the next hour. And, I, and unless you've got something for me, I'm going to go back to work. But I just want to acknowledge I appreciate that. I think that's a good habit to get into. Um, and so that sense that the day is really a prayer, but you can get, you can, you can get into a situation where you make the mistake of saying, well, that's going to be my prayer without having a little bit of time to, to sit down with the Bible or with the liturgy of the hours or some, or something that you allocate time that I'm, Lord, what are you going to say? What do you want to say to me now? And Lexio Divina or something along those lines or listening to uh, relevant radio has a little thing. It takes about 13 minutes or 15 minutes to listen to, which is based on the readings of the day. I forget what it's called, but if you go to relevant radio, it's a, it's a one of the, at the top of the page that you can always go to it. And I find that those are usually pretty helpful, often very challenging, but if you have 15 minutes to do that, you could do that on the way to work if you wanted to. So I think it's a matter of of making time because I think scare, scarcity technically is a misnomer, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, it, it's scarce because of what we fill the day with. And obviously most of us have to work eight to 10 hours a day or allocate that much time to, to that. And you add in. So meals is another thing. I think that, you know, trying to have family meals together, uh, at least one a day, you know, maybe dinner, that gets harder as the kids get older. And so what we would, what we would do when they were in high school and that is we'd sit down on a Sunday and Stephanie would have her, you know, gospel meeting, which was the acronym for get on the same page people. (laughs) And, and, and we'd sit down and do that and say, okay, what night are we going to have dinner together? And and that was a non-negotiable. We're going to agree to it. There's nothing. You're going to look at your schedule. We're going to look at ours. And that's going to get on the schedule. And we're going to, from 6.30 to 7.30, that's what we're going to do. 
And so you've got to make time for what's important. If, you know, God should be there, wife, time together with family. I think of maybe a fourth thing. And I've just started trying to do this again, even with the older kids, it's a lot harder to schedule, but we used to do it is, is making a time, particularly if you have a large family with, with the individual kids where it's just you and mom or you and dad, even if it's just a walk, a 30 minute walk or something like that, that happens on a relatively regular basis. Um, you know, we did it, we tried to do it. It never always worked out, but, but I, it's, it kind of dropped off towards the end and it should have been something that I did more of I was making time to have a little bit of time with each of the kids. So I could kind of ask questions, hear how they're doing, express with them what's going on. So hopefully some of those are, are, uh, helpful. Well, let's go on to the next the next challenge, which yeah. is failure in imparting moral values. I think, you know, those are related. If if uh, if parents um, don't feel like they have the time that they need to engage with their children, right. to spend time with their children, to develop um, lasting bonds and, and a relationship with them, well, that is going to impact the ability to impart their moral values. Right. And I think, I think, I mean, obviously that's, we're teachers of the, of the faith and the faith actually extends to morals, what's right and what's wrong. And so that is, should be one of the top things on our, on our list is to try to import moral, moral values. The earlier you start that, the better. And, and again, one of the things that, that we've talked about before is it's not just teaching in terms of it's not just, it, it is that, but it's not just that. Two things. One, we have to get provide example of that. And how do we do that? If, if something comes up and we, and we respond and make a decision right or wrong, and to the extent you can share with them, you, you need to share those stories with your kids, Right. I made this decision because, and it maybe hurt so that they're, they, they can start to hear it. I mean, they, they start to recognize that, Hey, this is not simple. We don't just do what everybody else does. We, we do what's the right thing and that there is a right thing in most, in many cases. So we gotta, we gotta share those stories with them. And then I think the other thing is, is that we need to help it'd be integrated, not be, not be just from on a high saying this is morally what you should do. We need to be able to give the moral reason why. And we need to be able to explain to them and try to get them to do it. So oftentimes I think questions are a big part of that in terms of, so what do you think? How did, how would, how would that, if a kid was bullying another kid, for example, how would that make you feel if you were the other kid. So what do you think would be the right thing to do and allow them to articulate it? Because you might be amazed at what just simple human thought and it helps them learn empathy. So to put themselves in that other person's spot is something that we all should do. Well, what, what about them To, to try to give the benefit of the doubt to people to teach them that. Had a case like that this weekend. An older child got upset with a younger child um, pestering, and the older child lashed out. I had to step in and talk to the older child about, you know, you don't want to, you don't really want to hurt or harm your your right. younger sibling, right? I mean, you want your younger siblings good, right? If you if you stop and think about it in, in, in the, the cool light of reason, you know, you know that, that that's not what you want for your younger sibling and let's work, you know, so we need to work on controlling our emotions, controlling our temper, you know, letting, letting little annoyances from younger ones kind of roll off of our, our back, learning to know when it's time to say, oh, I've got to get mom and mom or pa involved here because I can't handle this situation anymore. So 
And and even on that, you know, part of it is walking through. Well, how might you? How mm-hmm. might we have handled this differently? Mm-hmm. What 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 was what was getting under your skin, so to speak? And okay, so how could this have been handled a little differently? And that those are always good questions to ask to try to get them engaged in in that. And then you can coach and counsel too. I mean, you know, hey, well, you might have tried this. You might have said this. Or you might have done this before we got to that point. Mm-hmm. That's part of the process. So you're you're teaching them. Yeah, I explain, you know, this younger sibling is going to probably do something like this again because of the right. age and it's a little bit of that younger sibling's kind of personality. So yeah. the next time looking for you to maybe take it with a grain of salt, take it with some humor, kind of laugh it off, say, <laughs> Now don't don't do that again. That was right. That, that hurt me or it could hurt me if you right. did it too hard. Um, say, now I'm going to have to, you know, I'll call Pa to, to deal with you if, if that happens again, but try not to get, you know, angry. Try to... Right. Try to and I think that's, that's great. some magnanimity. That's not, the, that's not the term I use, but... Right. No, I think that's, and I think that's the way it happens. And it points to something else with regard to how, you know, imparting moral values. The reality is this, we have to keep our antennas up as to what's going on in their life and what's going on around what they've, what they've been exposed to and what they're in the middle of as being those opportunities that God's giving us to help uh, impart those moral values. Because, Typically, it's not like you sit down and say, I mean, you can, but it's not like reading the textbook. Okay, here's the situation. The best way, the best way and the best opportunities to teach morality is when something comes up, right? right. I mean, that's so we, we, we have to really avoid taking a situation and hey, there's nothing wrong with sending a child to their room and sending the other child to their room. But don't leave it as that because all you've done is you haven't taught them to deal with or understand what's going on in the situation and how they deal with it. And what becomes the, the issue is I just want peace. As a parent. And I've been there before. I just, I just want peace. You all separate. <laughs> right. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think, I think, again, like most of the stuff that we do, we have to come back and address the situation. Usually, it's better. Almost always, it's better to do it in in a in a non in a non conflict moment. So sometimes, if there's conflict going on, that's not the best time to deal with it. So it may be separate, but don't leave it at that. Okay, now it's peaceful. I can read my book, or I can do whatever, and I don't have to deal with it. They're both in their rooms. What needs to happen is I think you need to spend a little time, not you, but I mean, in, in general, and in bringing them back together and say, hey, this is not the way brothers and sisters act. I mean, it's not the, it's not the way they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. We all get upset. I've lost my temper before. I mean, you know, show yourself to be vulnerable. And, you know, I've, I've mishandled things before because somebody's annoyed me. I, I mean, so I know how that goes. I've probably done that with you. And, and then... But this no, is you how it should be. With me. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, so, and then come back and just address it and say, hey, next time, let's, why don't we try this? You, can you do, you think that'd be a good idea? You know, and, and engage them so they're kind of participating in it. Because what you ultimately want to do always is get them thinking about it too. Because it, here's the deal it's with everything we do as parents. The reality is we've got to train them with the understanding that we're not always going to be there. We're, we're not. And so we have to give them the tools to think through and know, well, well this is what dad, you know, there's my, one of my favorite scenes, you know, from uh, one of my favorite movies, which we've done a show on, uh, um, It's a Wonderful Life, where, in a, where something happens and there's a, there's a, he's wondering how to handle a situation, the little boy. And he looks up and there's a poster. It says, you know, go ask your dad or your dad knows best or something like that. And he goes and asks his dad, you want, you want them 
to feel free to come to you if they, this is a problem and that's it. But you also want to say you need to be able to deal with this yourself because you're trying to raise kids that know that and what you would like to the extent that you've communicated something well is for them to at least think somewhat like you, like mm-hmm. where they, if they can't ask you, well, what would dad say? Or what would dad think of this? Or how would dad handle this? And hopefully we've been given enough <laughs> of an example, which listen, we all fail. And as you know, in imparting moral uh, values, I think part of it also is just us being a good example. But when we're a bad example of how we handled a situation or how we treated our child because we were frustrated, angry or whatever to show that part of that is coming back and, and answering. So I think you learn, they learn a lot by watching you deal with them and they learn a lot by you teaching a little bit, but you have to make time in the moment that's happening now because that will resonate with them longer than if you are trying to teach it like out of a textbook. (laughs) <laughs> which, you know, but parenting is that exactly. So, um, you can't be afraid to say, okay, this is the right thing to do. So do it. Or this is the wrong thing to do. Don't do it. But you do need to walk them through by maybe helping them be on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, asking them that question, how would you feel if you were the other person involved in this situation? You know, how would you like to be handled if that were the case to begin to build up that and that we can say in lots of cases, something is right and something is wrong. It's we we've, I think we're at a point where we got to, we have an issue in the society that says, you know, it's hard to call anything right or wrong. And we got to make sure that they know, okay, there's truth and there's lies and there's good and there's bad and there's better and there's best. I mean, to be able to kind of walk through that. So I think that's an important thing to do as well. So uh, did you have any other? Yeah, I think that leads well into the next challenge, which is an imbalanced life. Um, (laughs) Yeah. We're, we're out of balance in terms of, uh, are giving people, you know, giving people leeway, giving people a sense of, of understanding, um, benefit of the doubt, but also, you know, calling, calling a spade a spade or, or being able to point out when something is violating the natural law, violating the moral law. Right. It's not good for someone's well being. Right. And, um, and, and but so again, Parenting is always coaching and counseling. I mean, I think ultimately, even at 21 or 22, you handle it different with somebody older than that, but but you kind of walk them through that. But I think that we're going to imba- imbalance life. Mm-hmm. Um, so just say, you know, another challenge of modern parenting suffer- suffers from these days is an imbalanced life. It's a fact that we cannot ignore our essential duties of of life that involve house, office, kids, and other personal requirements. While creating an equilibrium amongst these tasks can be crucial if they're not handled well, then you may definitely go down the, you may go down the drain. Parents who fail to maintain a balance between all of these requirements may have to witness a highly imbalanced life. And again, I think part of that is, is getting to the, to the schedule and you need to look, I mean, what's a balanced life Here's the deal. I mean, it's not always a balanced life, right? I mean, there are times when your job or things that are going on in the family may take more time than normal. What you want to do is say a balanced life is really overtime, and and we need to communicate. Okay, I'm going to be out, or I'm going to be traveling, or I'm going to be have time, but I'll make up for it, so to speak, or I'm going to find some extra time to maybe get off a little bit earlier or whatever to kind of show that a balanced life doesn't mean it's a clock in at nine and a clock out at five every day and I'm home at five thirty and dinner's on the table at six and well that's never happened <laughs> in in our life. Uh, but 
you know, that I'm up at whatever time, you know, there's always things that change. I had a rough night sleeping may mean I sleep a little later than I normally would, you know, whatever it is, but a part of a balanced life. Or I get less sleep than I normally would because I can't sleep in. I have to get up. Yeah. However I do. Right. And so, and, and to kind of be aware, but I think part of, part of that is to make sure you're communicating with the people around you that I, that I do recognize that I've got stuff to do at home. I got chores or things to do at home. And so do you, and that we've got, uh, I've got things I've got to do at work and I've got to make time for prayer and we got to make sure that you get to practice and all those different things and trying, trying to balance all those things is a challenge. But I think communication is one of them is one of the things um, to keep you on track. Like I said, a Sunday night, particularly when they get older, right before the week begins, everybody has their calendar, or at least looks at what's going on and to lay out, this is what, these are th- non-negotiables. I have to be here at this time, or you have to be there at that time. How are we going to arrange that kind of leads to, I think, being able to balance all the different things that are going on in the life. So communication, I think is a big part of it. Um, prioritization. Do I really have to get this done today or is Mm -hmm. it just something I want to do or Mm -hmm. something that I feel like I have to do, but I don't really have to being able to prioritize, I think is really important and making sure that all those things that nothing drops off substantially for any extended period of time. I mean, Things at the house have to be done. So when are we going to do those projects? I mean, I'm the worst at that. I don't I mean I'm the absolute worst at that because I'll work to six or seven sometimes and get home and I'm tired and then the weekend comes and there's a few things going on and then all of a sudden I'm like, you know, I really want to rest. And so I do, which is not a bad thing either. To the extent that that doesn't mean that I let something go, which if Stephanie's listening to this, you know, she'll, she'll know how many balls I've dropped on, on that, on that side. Cause, um, but I think that again, it's kind of an awareness of what, what needs to be done. What's the time frame within which they need to, ha- it needs to happen. If I've got kids, they got to go to practice on Tuesday and Thursday and they have a game on Friday or something like that, then I need to be aware of that. Where I find my most stress in the imbalance of life is when, Something that I should have known was happening, I either wasn't because I didn't listen or because somebody never told me, and then all of a sudden I get a, well, hey, we we got to be here in 30 minutes. Those are the ones that cause great deal of stress. Yeah. Uh, so, as again, I think we need to take all the stuff that we've got to do, and I think day-to-day, that's fine. I think as a family, week-to-week, like trying to communicate, I've got this, I'm not going to be here at night, this night. And how are we going to balance all that and make sure that we still spend time with our kids, spend time with our wife, get our work done at work, do our projects at home, which I put at the last because that's the most convicting of all those for me. Me too. And then that leaves us with the last challenge, which is lack of emotional bonding and if we don't have uh, a good grasp of time management, right? if we're not making a priority out of imparting moral values and being on the, having our children uh, be on the same page with us in terms of uh, morals and views, and we allow our lives to get out of balance in regards to priorities and duties, then yeah. certainly all of that can lead to a lack of emotional and, bonding with her. Right. And our I think parent, that our children, it, there, there's an interesting sentence here. It says by not spending enough time with their children, parents might not be able to create an emotional bonding with them as a result. As a result, kids hesitate opening up to their parents, refrain from sharing their troubles with their parents and seek attention from their peers instead. Mm-hmm. And I've always, uh, we've always said what we, and we've even told our kids, particularly as got older, we want to be on the list. You know, if you're having a tr- trouble and, and this is part of that culture you've got to create 
to, to build emotional bonding. Are they able to tell you something that maybe you're not really happy that happened and still maintain, you know, not lose your temper as a result of what you're hearing and, and be able to allow them to always feel like they can open themselves up to you with a problem. And I think that's absolutely critical to doing that. And part of that is, is, is not maybe going where you'd like to go initially. (laughs) I'm still working on that. (laughs) Me too. But, but again, it's part of being purposeful. We, we've always said you want the heart of the child, right? Well, if you want the heart of the child, that's effectively the end of this emotional bonding, right? You, you want um, emotional bonding means that me and my son, me and my daughter, me and my wife feel comfortable over time, and we're characterized by being somebody who listens, who somebody is not going to just try to jump down your throat and say, well, you can't do that, is going to talk through and, and be able to do that. You want your kids, when they're 25 years old or 20 or 17, to at least talk to you about things. And mm-hmm. what I think happens is if we're, if mm-hmm. we're characterized by it's always no, if we're characterized by they're not going to listen to me. They're just going to tell me what to do. They're not going to allow me to participate. I mean, if it, if it becomes or, not, not authoritative, but more autocratic, like I'm, you know, I'm your dad, do what I tell you to do, which is not always a bad thing, but we can't be characterized by it because what happens is just think about it yourself. I mean, again, this is part of empathy, put yourself on the other side of the equation. I already know what he's going to say and I already know he's going to do this and therefore there's no reason for me to go talk to him. <laughs> I mean, I already know this is how he's going to respond. So sometimes you got to throw a curveball mm-hmm. <laughs> at them by responding in a way that you, they're not expecting you to. I mean, as, as I'm talking here, I'm thinking, and this is kind of part of the, part of the bonding. I was talking about, about God or whatever with one of my kids and, and, and it, you know, he, kind of said something he thought was going to get a rise out of me. And he said, well, how do you know, how do you know that God loves you and everything you believe is what the truth is? And, and I said, you know, because I, because I do, the, he thought I was going to jump back at, at him. And I what all I said was that really, you've got to get to where you believe that you have to, and it totally caught him off guard. And so sometimes you got to throw them a little bit of a curveball that usually means I'm not going to respond harshly. I'm not going to respond in in uh, the way that they think. And it's always going to be what what? How do I get to the heart of the child? Everything. So if you ask the like the fundamental kashikism, what we've always said, Article One, in Article the One, the the founding principle is, and I think this is a good one. The most important thing we can have is that child's heart. The most important thing that they know that they can come to us, that they trust us, that they can be vulnerable with us, that they can say they made a mistake, that all those type of things, because everything else doesn't matter if you don't have that, because you might get a well-behaved kid. You might get a well-behaved kid from all external appearances that they don't all they want to do is get away where they don't have to come ask. I mean, you want them to be concerned. Like I want dad to know this, or I want mom to know this. So this is probably fundamental to that, but it does mention, and it's a, it's kind of an offshoot of all this. If you don't spend time with them, (laughs) if you don't take the time when they're having a struggle, if you don't stop what you're doing and say, I see that you're upset about this, let's talk. Can you tell me what you're feeling? Why is that? You know, those type of things. If you don't stop, then they're going to think, because part of the reason they don't come to you is not just that they had to answer. They don't come to you because they know you're busy. And sometimes it's out of actual love that they're, I mean, their misappropriation of that is they're too busy to talk to me. You sure as heck don't want that, which is why to this day, to the extent that I can, if any of my child call any of my children call me, 
I'm going today, I'm going to almost immediately text him if I'm busy. Hey, I can't talk to you. Need me now. I mean, they want, you want them to have a characterization of you that says, if I need mom and dad now that they're going to stop what they're doing now, they don't take advantage of that. But if they have always been told no or later or whatever, then I think you've got a problem with that. So it's, so it's not just, they don't like the answer. They know they're going to, you're going to get from them. I mean, they're going to get from you, but it may be, well, they're too busy. I don't want to bother them with this. And it's exactly those things that they think, well, it's not that big a deal that you want them talking to you about. So having the child's heart is the, the anecdote, or certainly it's the opposite of the lack of emotional bonding. It is. I mean, emotional bonding means that my heart is yours, child, wife, friend, what, and your heart is mine. And it's, it's kind of beautiful right now. We have the, the six-year-old boy. He's in a stage where um, he kind of wants to share his whole life with you because he's just constantly saying, let me show you this. Let me tell you about right. this. Can I tell you, show you this? Come look at this. Right. It's really beautiful. There's something beautiful there about no, it, it is, and what, and and, and sometimes you got to figure out how to balance that. Yeah. But the bottom line is, you know, make sure that they know you're available to them, particularly in moments of of struggle, and that you're not going to respond negatively and lecture them, but actually join them in the problem. But anyway, let me see if I can do this. Only God can take the mystery out of parenthood. He's laughing right now. Only God can take the mystery out of parenthood. So pray. Parent with a purpose and prepare for God to amaze you. He will every time. Promise. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. God bless. And we'll see you next week. Bye.